Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries. And today, this is another episode in our series on Isaiah's Messiah, where we are exploring the depths of Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. And I want to just do a brief review. In the first episode, we discussed an introduction and overview of the servant that Isaiah is speaking about. And we also talked about the importance of this chapter and how it is. All of this is tied to the Torah. We saw several examples of that. Then in lesson two, we talked about the announcement that Isaiah was given, the report of the Lord, and the arm of the Lord. And we saw how this coming servant is the arm of the Lord, the Zeruah. We saw how he fulfills that, and through his death and resurrection, he will redeem his people. Even in Psalm 118, it speaks of the right hand of the Lord doing valiantly, and this arm of the Lord that will prosper. That's a messianic psalm. And so it correlates with Isaiah's Messiah, this servant that he's prophesying about. In lesson three, we saw this coming servant's surprising appearance, how he will be a human being. He will actually come as a baby and then develop as a child growing and that he is the root of Jesse. He's going to come from Jesse and David's lineage. In this episode, I want us to carry it a little further in Isaiah 53, in lesson 4. And I want to start us out by reading Isaiah chapter 53, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. I want us to stop there, and we're going to discuss verses 3 and 4 primarily in this episode today as we're working through this wonderful chapter in Isaiah chapter 53. So now Isaiah tells us, he's told us about his surprising appearance, how he's coming. Now he's going to tell us about how people received him, how he was received by those he came to. And in actuality, we're going to find out that he was rejected primarily by those he came to, at least through the official leadership and many of the people as well although there were many that did receive him. And it was said by John 
in John's gospel that as many as did receive him, to them he gave the power, the right, to become the children of God. So we're going to look at his reception today and primarily focusing in here on the suffering of that, the rejection, because Isaiah clearly tells us that he is not going to be welcomed and hailed as some wonderful person. Matter of fact, Isaiah tells us here in verse 3 and 4, he's going to be despised. He will be treated with contempt, regarded as worthless or useless, treated as despicable and vile. The first time that word in scripture is used is in Genesis 25 verse 34, when it speaks of how Esau sold his birthright to Jacob. He despised his birthright. He considered it worthless to him. He considered it despicable and vile in that moment. So this suffering servant will be despised. He will also be rejected. It's interesting because the root word that this word comes from means to cease or to desist. In other words, they're not going to just consider him worthless and vile. They're going to also try to stop him. They want to try to shut him up. They'll consider him fleeting, vacant, and destitute. They want to shut him up. They want to do away with him. They want it to be as if he never even showed up. He'll be totally rejected of men. Many that he came to rejected him. Most all of the leadership of the Jewish people at that time rejected him. Although we know of at least two that did receive him. And they assisted in his burial after his death. But many human leaders and many other of the common people rejected him. They wouldn't believe him. They wouldn't receive him. As many as did receive him became children of God. But many rejected him and would not receive him. Even those who should have known him and recognized him because of the prophet's words like Isaiah's. We see he was a man of sorrows, another proof of his humanity. He was going to come in the flesh, God in the flesh. God the Son came in human form. And Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the Son of the living God come in human flesh. And he is called a man of sorrows, anguish, grief, the feeling of pain, grieving. He is acquainted with grief. He knows it personally and intimately. He came into contact with it. He came into experiences with it throughout his lifetime here. He even wept, the Bible tells us, when his beloved friend Lazarus had died. He was weak. He was afflicted. He suffered various sufferings and afflictions in this life. It also includes sickness. Jesus was never sick, but he was close to many who were, and he brought healing to them, as had been prophesied 
by the prophet Malachi in chapter 4, verse 2. The reason that this had to be, we are told, and that this Messiah Isaiah is speaking about had to come in this way and be acquainted with grief and be suffering himself. The author of the book of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16, it reads this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And Peter confirms with the author of Hebrews in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, he tells us, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. It had to be such. This Son of the living God had to come and be acquainted and close to our grief. He had to come and be suffering pain himself and grief himself to be made like us and to be a compassionate great high priest, one who cares for us, one who can take our cares and our burdens when we bring them to him, one who is acquainted with what we're going through without sin, but yet he understands the feelings of our infirmities and is moved with compassion when we cry out to him. Praise be to God. Then Isaiah says that we hid our faces from him and did not esteem him. He's talking about the majority of the people who were rejecting him, especially the Jewish leaders and the religious crowd. Because for the most part, the Jewish leaders and the religious crowd in Jesus' day rejected him. They wouldn't have anything to do with him. They hid their faces from him and did not esteem him. They were averse to him. They wanted to have nothing to do with him. They turned their face away. They were averse to him and his message. They did not value him or consider him worthy. In reality, however, Isaiah says, he bore our griefs. So in other words, he says, surely in reality, or in fact, the fact of the matter is, he was also suffering these ills in humanity, but he was doing it in our place. He took ours upon himself. He bore them for us. He carried upon himself our griefs, our shame, our sorrows. He was burdened with ours. Yet in our minds and our thoughts, we considered and regarded him as being stricken, which is talking about being touched or struck by God's hand in vengeance and judgment, similar to how God would judge an enemy and fight against them. It's used in other places of being touched by God in judgment or punishment 
for harm or evil. So it's speaking of how God would judge his enemies and strike them. That's what it's saying here. We considered this servant that Isaiah prophesied about, we, the religious crowd, the Jewish leadership, those who rejected him, as if God were punishing him, as if he had done crimes and wrongs. We considered him stricken. We considered him smitten, or in other words, killed, struck with death, killed as if executed for some capital crime he had done, killed or destroyed. It's used also in reference to the days of Noah when the flood was brought to destroy all of the people. And one of the covenant promises God made to Noah in there when he gave the rainbow as the sign of the token of the covenant, etc., was that he would not strike and kill everything alive anymore. So we thought, or the leadership thought, the religious crowd thought that God had struck him in judgment and, and was punishing him as an enemy, smitten him, struck him and killed him as if for execution of a crime, and that God was afflicting him, that God was the one oppressing him, humbling him, and humiliating him, looking down on him. So Isaiah this claims that this coming Messiah would be received, if you will, with rejection and ridicule by many. So what do we see with Isaiah's Messiah when he came. Let's look at just a few examples. There are many we could go to. I do want to pick up a few and specifically look at those, and they're found all through the Gospels. I want to read first in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. It says this, So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever you have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land, but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who, had, who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. 
and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. So here, this is early in his ministry, when he's first becoming public in his ministry. And he goes to a synagogue in his hometown in Nazareth. He's given the scroll of Isaiah to read. He found Isaiah chapter 61. That's what we would call it, because that's how it's listed in our Bibles. And so he began to read Isaiah 61, but he stopped mid-verse. If you go back and you look up Isaiah 61, you will see where he read a portion through verse, a portion of verse 2, and then stopped mid-sentence. And he said, this is now fulfilled in your eyes. He had to stop mid-sentence because the rest of that verse will be fulfilled at his second coming. And that's more than we can get into here. But the point is, when he, when he was given the opportunity to give the drosh, the understanding and the exposition of that passage he had just read, he's teaching them that Messiah is here, the one that is the anointed one of the Lord. By the Spirit of God, I am he. He's the one that's telling them, I'm here now, fulfilling this word that I've read. So in his hometown, the people that knew him as he was growing up, etc., they are filled with wrath when he says this, and they want to even go ahead and kill him right then and there, but God protects him because it wasn't the right time. Then in Matthew chapter 3, in verse 7 through 10, we see John the Baptist on the scene, and he is speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes, he's calling them out, saying, you're a brood of vipers. If you really believe in the Messiah and you really want to be right with God, then go bring fruits, meat for repentance. In other words, show me proof. Show me proof in your changed lifestyle. But he's warning them of pending judgment if they do not repent because Messiah is imminent. He is coming right now, anytime, any minute he is on the scene. So shortly after that, John identifies Jesus. Jesus' ministry and his reputation begins to grow. These Pharisees and other leaders of the Jewish people hear about him. And persecutions will begin and continue now throughout his ministry, only intensifying the longer that they go. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 39, Jesus warns of persecution, even telling them how he brings division. Now, he doesn't mean I'm coming to separate families from one another. I'm not coming intentionally trying to create strife and, and envy among family members. He's simply saying my presence here and the work that I'm doing and the word that I preach from the Father will create this division because some will receive it and some will not. But he also teaches here the cost of following him is going to be worth it in the long run. Even John the Baptist has a moment when he questions 
Jesus as the Messiah at one point. You can read that in Matthew chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. So in some ways, Jesus coming and the way he came and the way he was doing his ministry almost surprised even John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was even surprised. But Jesus clears that up with John the Baptist and he tells him, you go back and you tell him, don't be offended at me. I am the Messiah. Tell him that the proof is in what I'm doing and what I'm teaching and what I'm saying. So Jesus continues on. He goes through in, say, Matthew chapter 12, verse 2 and verse 4. Jesus is doing various good things on the Sabbath day. In one of those places, the disciples are eating grain, and oh my goodness, the Pharisees get all upset because they consider that work. And in another place, Jesus is healing on the Sabbath day. And so they consider that all work, and so he's upsetting the Pharisees. And notice in Matthew chapter 12, Verse 14, the Bible tells us that they begin then to plot to kill and destroy him. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the Jewish people in that day, now are going to plot to kill and destroy Isaiah's Messiah. They try to trick him in many other places, such as in Matthew 19 and in John chapter 8. Those are just two examples. I want to read in Luke chapter 19, Verses 39 through 42. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now what they're talking about is this was his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, where he is now going to be revered by many with the Messianic cry from Psalm 118 as king, as the promised Messiah king from the Old Testament prophets and the scriptures. And so the Pharisees get all mad and they say this, teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, shut them up from saying that messianic cry from Psalm 118, because you're certainly not it. This is what the Pharisees were saying. You need to make them hush. Verse 40, but he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. So there were stones nearby, perhaps from the tombs of even Zechariah. There is the tomb of the prophets on Mount of Olives, which is near where Jesus was coming down. So he was saying, if, if I shut these up, there are stones that prove, there are stones of remembrance that testify of who I am. Verse 41, now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. So Jesus is coming, realizing that he is entering his final week, and Jerusalem as a whole with their leadership, will now finally reject him ultimately. And so he has upset them, and he feels the grief also because he loves his people, and he wanted them all to receive him. But they don't. They challenge him. They continue to challenge him. 
all throughout the week. If we skip down in chapter 19 and we go to verse 47 through 48, we see this final week in summary form. Verse 47, And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything for all the people were very attentive to him, to hear him. So the people, the common people, were much more receptive to him than the leadership and the religious crowd. They kept challenging him all through that week, seeking even to destroy him. And then they find their opportunity because there's a weak link. I want us to now go to Matthew chapter 26, and I want to read verses 3 through 5 and then skip down to verse 14. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. So in other words, they're plotting now to literally kill him, but they say, we need to wait until after Passover's over, because, you know, because of the people, because a lot of the people really like him. So let's just wait and do it, you know, when they don't, they won't be so much of an uproar about it. Well, the problem with that is God knew he was the Passover lamb and he had to be slain on Passover. So there's a weak link in this picture that God is then going to use. He makes his own choice, but God is using him to bring the suffering that Isaiah prophesied had to come to his Messiah. In verse 14, Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he, meaning Judas, sought opportunity to betray him. So now you've got the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees now in conjunction with Judas Iscariot, all linked together for one purpose, to destroy Jesus. So then when we see Pilate has interrogated Jesus and is ready to release him, he brings him out on this balcony or whatever, and he says to the crowd, hey, it's time for the feast. I, I want to give you one of these. Who do you want, Jesus or Barabbas? Well, the Pharisees have stirred up an uproar in the people, and now they seek to accept Barabbas, a hardened criminal, and crucify Jesus. So now he's entering that stage of total and utter rejection, completed even on the cross in Matthew chapter 27, verse 39 through 43, it says this, And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. 
he trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. So even on the cross, we see utter and total rejection and mocking from the religious crowd and from the leaders that should have known Isaiah's prophecy and should have received him. So yes, he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He did suffer severely, exactly as Isaiah prophesied and to the T. But praise God, there the story doesn't end there. There's still good news for this story. This suffering servant's pain and grief will be rewarded. He is resurrected from the dead and he builds his church. Exactly what he said in Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 through 18. And I want us now to look back at Matthew chapter 21. And I want to read verses 33 through 46. And it says this, Hear another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard, set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servant to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again he sent other servants more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruit in their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. So here he is quoting another prophecy from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, which prophesies specifically about a precious, tried, chosen stone that would be rejected. As a matter of fact, it's also spoken and confirmed by the author of Psalm 118, which is a prophecy about the Messiah. And in verse 22, 
the prophetic word from Psalm 118 says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. So there is a rejected stone here, a rejected Messiah, but he's not done yet. He might have been rejected by some, but he became the chief cornerstone of the church and remains so to this very day, confirmed by two places in the New Testament. And I want to read both of those as we draw to a close. First one I'd like to read is 1 Peter chapter 2. And I want to begin the reading in verse 4. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. So he was rejected by men, but he was precious to God and has become the chief cornerstone of the church. I want to read finally in Acts chapter 4. Now I want to begin the reading in verse 10. And it says this, Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So even though this servant of Isaiah, this Messiah, would be rejected by the religious crowd, he would be rejected by many of his own people, he would be rejected by the religious leadership of that day. Yet he became the chief cornerstone of the church and remains so. He was rejected by men, but is precious to God. Man had their opinion of him, but God's is far different. I pray that this has been a blessing to you and Lord willing, you can join us again for the rest of these messages in this series as we continue working through this study on Isaiah's Messiah, found in Isaiah chapter 53. God bless you today, in Jesus' name, amen.